We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Social awareness. That's to take a piss. Don't take a shit in the porta potties. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Butting Heads Podcast from Ramstalk Radio. I'm Steve Rivera. As always, here with my man Johnny Gomez. Johnny, uh, it's Tuesday. How's, how's your Tuesday going? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. Uh, I, I'm i still, you know, watching some baseball, so at least I have some sports to occupy me. But other than that, pretty good. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. WrestleMania was this weekend. Got to watch that. It was great. <laughs> yeah, basketball's on. It, it's it's an okay time to be a sports fan. Uh, and the NFL draft's coming up. Exactly. I mean, we're all... I know, Steve, you're not much into the NFL draft, or at least not as much as the NBA draft, which is still odd to me, but <laughs> it's still a fun time. Uh, I think I actually... I, I just don't watch a lot of college sports. I think I'm more into the NFL draft than the NBA draft. I'm way more into NBA free agency than NFL free agency. But draft, uh, NFL draft, I think, is the best draft in sports for sure. Because in the NBA, after you get past the top, like, six picks, it's not that important. <laughs> it it is, but, like, your franchise changes if you get a top five pick. Uh, some years, it's top one. Uh, in the NFL, you find franchise guys later in the draft. This is very true. 
Yeah. Well, uh, we're not going to talk much draft today. We we will in a little bit. I'm. Uh, it might be part of our discussion. We're going to go through all the NFC West opponents and what they've done in free agency so far. Uh, next week, we are going to have some draft specialists come on the show and, and chat with us. So we're going to get a couple nice draft preview pods uh, coming in the pipeline soon. But, Johnny, we're going to take uh, probably a pretty massive detour. Rather than talk about rookies, we're going to talk about uh, legends today. I So, as many know, uh, we've been rooting for Torrey Holt to get in the Hall of Fame for He's been on the ballot for seven years, hasn't gotten in. Uh, I think he's getting close. I think he's going to be in next year. But uh, a guy as decorated as him, uh, many-time All-Pro, many-time Pro Bowler, a lot of receiving records. Um, I believe he's one of two players ever to put up 1,600 yards multiple times uh, in his career in a single season. He's not in yet. He's been on the ballot for seven years. And uh, Julian Edelman retired this week. And the debate got brought back up about Edelman being in the Hall of Fame uh, because he retired. And a lot, a lot of credible people ha- have been banging the drum for him to get into the Hall of Fame. Now, Johnny, I got to ask real quick. Uh, when you hear somebody say, should Julian Edelman be in the Hall of Fame, what is just your immediate reaction? Before I laugh, I'm like, what the hell are you thinking? Uh, to be fair, Julian Edelman is, you know, a guy that got shit done. You know, and that's that's more or less what you can identify Julian Edelman. He got shit done. He was not super in really anything. He, he was just he was just a guy that was there and he did a good job. Now he's he's not a Steve Largent either, you know, a guy that you know, that was truly the guy that got shit done, but he did it consistently. With Julian Edelman, the only time he really turned up anything was during the playoffs. And not that not to say that he was a terrible player, it's just he was okay like in his regular season career. Um and and again, like I said, if you can turn it up in the playoffs, that's awesome. You know, that's that's the perfect time to turn it up, but when you see the legends that are in the Hall of Fame, these are guys that were firing on all cylinders throughout their career. And you cannot say for one second that was Julian Edelman. And to even greater extent, you can't even say that was more of Julian Edelman's contribution as it was Tom Brady's. Let's face it, whether you love or hate Tom Brady, he's the one that made everyone around him better. And evidence of that is even in his aging uh, even in his aging state, he still managed to take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the Super Bowl and win. So if you're gonna if you're gonna give anyone the Hall of Fame vote, you obviously gotta do that for Tom Brady. And not Julian Edelman. There's just no... There's absolutely no reason why Edelman is your Hall of Famer at all. I I don't know. I mean, Steve, I know, has done countless hours of research. No, not countless hours. But he's done quite a bit of research. So I'll kind of pass the baton to Steve here. Steve, is there any sort of way... 
you can give Edelman a Hall of Fame vote here. Well, let, let's talk about it. Um, I did dozens of minutes of research on this, uh, but I, I, I feel pretty good about my research. This is the most I've researched any football topic in a while. Uh, so, yeah, let, let's let's talk about the full case. And the case for Julian Edelman is uh, we say playoff success, but I mean that kind of underplays his playoff success. He He's one of the most decorated and receivers in the playoffs in league history. He's second in playoff receptions and second in playoff yards all time, only behind Jerry Rice. Uh, if you look at the guys that are in, let's say, the top 15 all-time playoff receiving yards, seven of them, eight of them are currently in the Hall of Fame, and a handful of them will be. Rob Gronkowski will be. Reggie Wayne probably will be. Uh, Anquan Bolden, Steve Smith, those guys might be. Uh, Heinz Ward, maybe. Uh, we'll talk about Heinz Ward in a minute. He it, it, he has insane success. He, he like I said, he's second in both those categories. He's got five touchdowns, receiving touchdowns in the playoffs. That's tied for forty six all time. Uh, he's won a Super Bowl MVP, which is an achievement. Uh, you know, it's not the most impressive Super Bowl MVP, but I'm not gonna knock him. He he won a Super Bowl MVP. You can make the case that yeah, he, he had all this success with Tom Brady, but in his defense, um, to make the case for him. He had all this success. Uh, yeah, he had a great quarterback. He had a great system. But uh, guys that played in the system in the past didn't have the playoff success. He had, you know, he has more receiving yards in the playoffs than Deion Branch, uh, another guy who's won a Super Bowl MVP but didn't really have the longevity like Edelman had for so long in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, and he's one of Tom Brady's favorite targets he's ever had. You can make the case that regular season as well, he's been the second. That's not even true. Uh, never mind. Disregard that. You can't make the case that in the regular season he's been the second best target Tom Brady's had. Uh, Wes Welker had a better career at the Patriots. Um, Randy Moss, maybe, even though it was short-lived. So, I mean, that's the case for him, and I guess it it's about how you value playoff success. I mean, the case to Vince him is literally fucking every single other part of his career. Uh, he's 75th all-time in receptions in league history despite playing in as a possession reception-heavy receiver in the most pass-heavy era in NFL history. He's 175th all-time in receiving yards. He's not in the top 250 for receiving touchdowns. He's got, I believe, three 1,000-yard seasons. Again, this is in the most pass-happy era in league history, playing with the greatest quarterback of all time. Uh, he was never an elite player, as you mentioned. Guys uh, who make the Hall of Fame with not a lot of Pro Bowls and not a lot of All Pros. Usually, at one point, were a really elite player or had crazy longevity that put them at like the top of the top of stat categories, which is really the the Frank Gore case. Uh, Edelman played for a while, but he did not. He's not sniffing any of these top categories. Uh, he's never made a All Pro team. He's never made a Pro Bowl, uh, and his play like. Yes, he's completely decorated in the playoffs, but it's a total of 19 games. It's basically one season. Um, it means a lot more than one season, but we'll talk about how much weight it carries. So there's – obviously, I'm on this hill that he's not a Hall of Famer, but there are a lot of play people uh, that have thrown out a lot of similar players. Uh, and I guess a case against him is a guy who's been thrown out a lot is Heinz Ward. Uh, Heinz Ward has been on the Hall of Fame ballot for five years. He's never even come close. I don't know if he ever will come close. Uh, in the playoffs, he's had a lot of success. He won a Super Bowl MVP like Julian Edelman did. He's fifth 
in receptions all time, eighth in yards all time, fourth in touchdowns all time. So he's a bit behind Edelman in receptions and yards, uh, but over him in touchdowns. So also a lot of playoff success. Not Maybe not at the height Edelman did, uh, but his numbers are pretty close. Now you look at his regular season. This is a guy who uh, a lot of his notoriety was because of playoff success playing in Pittsburgh. In the regular season, he has double Julian Edelman's yards, and that's 26 all-time. He's 14th in receptions all-time. Again, Edelman is this reception receiver. Uh, he has about 400 more career receptions than Julian Edelman. He's 16th in touchdowns. <laughs> 50 more than Julian Edelman, who's not in the top 250. Uh, and on top of that, even though he was never really – I never viewed him as a truly elite player – Four-time Pro Bowler, three-time second-team All-Pro. So he did have some seasons where you were putting him as one of the four best receivers in the NFL uh, to, to get around that Pro Bowl, All-Pro team. Uh, Pro Bowl would be the eight best receivers in the NFL, but that varies with conferences and guys who drop out. Uh, and again, guy has not sniffed the Hall of Fame. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. He was a very good player, but it just doesn't add up compared to a lot of these guys that are not in the Hall of Fame. Another name that's been thrown out is Lynn Swan, who um, – like Julian Edelman, had a really notable playoff success, won four Super Bowls. He's got a Super Bowl MVP. And, you know, his numbers don't add up because he played in the fucking 70s. So I don't think it's worth talking about the totality of his yardage. But he has three All-Pros. He's made He, he has three Pro Bowls. Uh, like I said with Tynes Ward, at one point he was considered in the top tier of receivers in the NFL. And he was always a top pass catcher on those uh, Super Bowl teams. Edelman never was. It was Gronk. Uh, now, now I like <laughs> again another guy who like I've also seen thrown out in the Edelman argument because uh, you talk about the importance of playoff success is Eli Manning because I've I've seen people say okay well if Edelman isn't in the Hall of Fame does that mean Eli Manning's not in the Hall of Fame because you know the majority of Eli Manning's case is that he had two incredible Super Bowl runs and won two Super Bowl MVPs in huge moments. And huge moments like that get elevated, for sure. And it's the only reason this conversation is happening at all is because Edelman's playoff success is elevating him. But Eli Manning is in the top 10 in pretty much every single major passing category in the regular season in his career. And he's made four Pro Bowls. And he won two Super Bowl MVPs, not one. Uh, like, should Eli Manning be in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. Probably not. But... The case isn't even close to Edelman's because he has the regular season numbers to back it up, even though he's, if he makes the Hall of Fame, he might be one of the most flawed players to ever make the Hall of Fame. But statistically, uh, this guy had a, a lot of success in the regular season, even though it was to varying degrees. He threw the shit out of the ball and landed in the top 10 in yards, completions, touchdowns. Uh, Edelman isn't in the top 70 in any major pass catching set in NFL history in the regular season. Uh, and then <laughs> and another metric I pulled Johnny that I, I found really interesting was pro football reference. They have a hall of hall of fame probability uh, meter, which is basically it's, it's not a perfect metric. There's a lot of flaws to it, uh, but it basically measures the totality of one's career, all their milestones, all their championship success, all their awards, all their statistics uh, to, Guess their Hall of Fame probability uh, of 100 is what an average Hall of Famer's career adds up to. Uh, Jerry Rice is, 
a 311, which is just so ridiculous. The next guy's guy is Randy Moss at 149. So he's double any receivers, and he probably at carries that um, average for receivers at 105 up a little bit uh, because that's absurd. But the the highest eligible player for the Hall of Fame who's not in right now is Reggie Wayne at 108. Torrey Hall is right below him at uh, 105. So the fact that those are two guys that haven't been on the, in the Hall of Fame yet, Torrey Hall's been on the ballot for a while. Reggie Wayne's been on it for less time, but in, in multiple years. Uh, and the guys we mentioned, Eli Manning is an 83 on this scale. Heinz Ward is a 73. Lynn Swan is a 70. Okay, so well below the average um, for Heinz Ward and Lynn Swan. But uh, still 70, so let's factor that in. The lowest receiver in the Hall of Fame is a guy by the name of Tommy McDonald. He's a 55 on this scale. Uh, He played from 1957 to 1968. The lowest player in the Hall of Fame period on this scale is Floyd Little, uh, a a running back who used to play for the Denver Broncos, if you're not familiar with him. Floyd Little was a five-time Pro Bowler, a three-time All-Pro. He led the league in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns on separate occasions. So it was a short-lived success for him, but he was at one point, you know, leading the league in rushing statistics, making Pro Bowls, making All-Pro teams, uh, being considered one of the best running backs in the league during the regular season. He came in at a 40, which is crazy low, Um, but that's the lowest eligible player I saw or the lowest player in the Hall of Fame I saw on this probability scale. Julian Edelman, Johnny, is is a 35 on this scale. He is 20 spots below the highest, the lowest receiver in the Hall of Fame. He is almost 40 spots below Heinz fucking Ward. Uh, Heinz Ward has double the probability on this scale as Julian Edelman has. Uh, just, it doesn't... Nothing adds up. If you're saying he's in the Hall of Fame, you're basing it solely on playoff success. He was a good player in the regular season. He was never a great player in the regular season. If he was a great player in the regular season, he'd have the regular, uh, a regular season to back this up. He doesn't. He doesn't have it. Uh, Johnny, and I, I, I look into this. Like People say Pro Bowls are an overrated statistic, and I agree. Uh, there are value to measuring Pro Bowls. Like, if you have tons of Pro Bowls, then you probably should be in the Hall of Fame if you have, like, 12 Pro Bowls. There's probably a reason you made it to the Pro Bowl 12 times. But a guy like Isaac Bruce, who we talked about, um, only made four Pro Bowls. He dealt. He played in an era with a lot of really good players that were all in the same conference as him, and it just never happened a couple times, especially early on his career, in his career uh, when he was playing on some bad teams before he joined up with the greatest Sean turf and uh, padded those numbers a little bit. Danny, I'm going to list, I'm going to give you a list of all the players in the pro football hall of fame who have zero pro bowl appearances that played in the pro bowl era. Are you ready? Let's hear it. Okay. Here it is. That's it. Because nobody has ever made the Hall of Fame without making a fucking Pro Bowl. It's the goddamn Pro Bowl. Players drop out of it like flies every year. It is not that hard to make one Pro Bowl. 
It is not that fucking hard. And this guy made zero. You are like you are just essentially saying the regular season doesn't matter. Playoffs just matter, even though the total number of playoff games he played in was three more than a regular season. Do they mean more? Uh, in the moment, yes. And yes, if you're talking about somebody like Eli Manning, he is not a Hall of Famer without his playoff success. With his playoff success, there's an argument. But Julian Edelman is not even sniffing the Hall of Fame without his playoff success. And it doesn't do enough. It, it doesn't do enough, man. Like, I just, I don't see this argument at all. If you say he's a Hall of Famer, you're basically just, like, the regular season doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter at all. Like, he he would have one of the worst cases of anyone ever to be in the Hall of Fame. And the probability numbers pack it up in the analytics because, like, like statistically on paper he's not there and analytically with with the with these uh with this probability metric he's also not there because he's never going to be in the hall of fame and he never should be in the hall of fame and it's ridiculous that i even sat here tonight spent like a half hour researching all these players all their numbers pulling it for the pod to come up with this conclusion because all the research does is gives him even less of a case than if you say oh well he had a couple good playoff rounds and he's high up in those statistics he's high up because he played a lot of games he played with tom brady for a decade and no you can't like if he had the regular season success, then it wouldn't matter that he played with Tom Brady for that long. Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison put up fucking monster numbers. Would they have put up those numbers without Peyton Manning? Probably not, but they were putting up gigantic numbers, and Edelman wasn't even sniffing that. And an even more insane thing I saw was somebody saying that NFL teams scout slot receivers because of Julian Edelman. He fucking replaced a slot receiver who was very notable, who made a multiple Pro Bowls, who I believe made a couple All-Pro teams, and Wes Welker. He wasn't even their original slot receiver. He didn't invent this position. He literally just stepped in for a guy that left. And yeah, had great success, didn't have the numbers that his predecessor had, uh, despite you can make the case for playing alongside worse receivers besides Gronk, obviously. It's just there's no case. I, like there's, I just don't get it at all. Uh, if you listen to that rant and you'd like to argue with me that there is a case, you know where to find me. I'm on Twitter at Steve Ribeiro. You can add me on fucking Facebook for if you want. If you want to have this argument, <laughs> like there's no case. <laughs> I was waiting. As soon as word broke that Julian Edelman was retiring. I was waiting for this rant by Steve and you know, we could be, beat a dead horse and, you know, do a whole podcast on, on just Julian Edelman, but I will offer uh, one more th uh, thing to contribute here. I think one of the things about a hall of fame, you know, what, what kind of, what kind of uh, is named a hall of famer, you know, we can bring up all the stats. We can bring up all the Pro Bowls, all the um, playoff runs, everything. But I also feel there's kind of unwritten rules um, that kind of garner what what um, is the reason you name a Hall of Famer. So, one of those things is what does this player or what did this player 
do to the sport to really change it? And Steve kind of covered this a little bit with people suggesting that he put slot receivers on the map, which was definitely not the case. Was he a talented slot receiver? I think we can all agree that he was talented. Um, was he the best slot receiver? That isn't even up for debate. He wasn't. And he still, like, even in his prime, he was not the best. Um, did he have a hell of a playoff runs? Yeah, throughout his career, sure. I can give you that. But at no point in his career, you can legitimately say that he was the best slot corner. So did he really change the way the sport was made? Or did he really change what the team has done? Not really. I mean... You know, again, he there's it's undeniable what he did in the playoffs, but in the regular season, you know, you got guys like Wes, uh, Wes Welker that could easily, you know, make the argument that he was the better slot receiver, and I'm inclined to believe that as well. So, you know, I I don't I don't know where this kind of delusion's coming in place, where. Uh, Edelman changed how this game was played because he didn't. He didn't change the team chemistry. That that's not something he did. You know, did he did he play well? Absolutely. And if if there was a hall of really good, he would be a first ballot in my opinion. But we're talking about the hall of fame here, and for that reason. You cannot give Julian Edelman the Hall of Fame. There are far better players that are deserving that I don't think will make it. And to tell you the truth, I would much rather induct Heinz Ward before I put in Julian Edelman. Agreed. And, yeah, I, I mean, you can make an argument that Heinz Ward was much more beneficial to the team of the Pittsburgh Steelers than Julian Edelman ever was to the New England Patriots. Yeah, I agree. He was. Um, not that Julian Edelman wasn't valuable, but like, like you look at his career numbers, man. He basically has, uh, after Welker left, he, he basically has like seven seasons, uh, eight if you count the year he sat out. Um, uh, he was injured the whole year. Uh, he pretty much has eight seasons under his belt where he was a lead guy there three of those he went for a thousand yards i johnny he his career high is 1117 yards now let's talk go back to tory hall uh a guy who is not in the hall of fame yet been on the ballot for seven years has playoff success uh, has made seven pro bowl teams has made two all pro teams uh has made an all-decade team, led the league in yards twice. He has eight seasons. Like, if you ranked their career seasons, uh, and Torrell played for 11 years, if you ranked his career highs in yards next to Julian Edelman's in yards uh, and ranked them, like, highest to lowest, Edelman's highest season would come in at ninth. Torrell has eight seasons better than Julian Edelman's best regular season on top of having – good success in the playoffs not as much as julian edelman but he had a lot of it and um guy hasn't gotten in yet i think he's gonna get in next year but like hasn't gotten in yet 
with those absurd numbers. Like beyond whether Edelman is worthy or not, there's so many players who like you can't sit here and say Edelman is a better case than Steve Smith. Edelman is a case than Andre Johnson. Edelman is a case better case than Reggie Wayne. Edelman is a better case than Torrey Hall. Like Edelman is a better case than fucking Henry Eller. Like there's all these players that haven't gotten in yet that are in line at receiver. He's so far behind them. Uh, and just to say that he has a better case than a guy like Heinz Ward, who I don't even think should be in the Hall of Fame, is ridiculous. And, like, you mentioned um, – there's a good point about, like, guys that change the game. Like, there – yeah, there should be room. Maybe there should be room in the Hall of Fame for guys who, like, you really can't tell the story of the NFL without. Like, guys that came in and maybe they didn't put up the accolades that some guys – that are they're competing against for the Hall of Fame did. Um but maybe you think there's a spot for those guys in the Hall of Fame because they you can't tell the story of the game without them. And that kind of calls that's kind of the case for a guy like Eli Manning. And uh, like if we really want to talk about guys who don't have a case statistically but like you want to make the argument because they're so important to football, you look at you don't look at players like Julian Edelman. You look at players like Michael Vick who doesn't have those accolades as a Hall of Famer. He only made four Pro Bowls, uh, which, I, like, he, he doesn't have the Hall of Fame statistics. But, like, if you're going to look look for a player that moved the game forward in a way that, like, is still inspiring players today, it's Michael Vick. And when you look for that slot receiver, like, the, the little, <laughs> for lack of a better term, the little scrappy white wide receiver is kind of like the role Julian Edelman played. You look at Wes Welker, man. It's not him. Like, I, I, I don't I, – I don't I, – there's no case. Like, there's absolutely no case to make. You know, I, I thought of a few uh, puns that I would bring up when you mentioned Michael Vick, but I think that might be in poor taste, so I decided not to. But... Uh, and, and he – yeah, obviously, like, his off-the-field stuff would affect him getting into the Hall of Fame, I think, even though it's not supposed to. Fucking O.J. Simpson's in the Hall of Fame. Um, well, he's out. But I would just throw him out there if, like, like if there's a case for, like, just a guy who changes the game. Like, that's the kind of guy you look at who, like, people still talk about how Michael Vick played the game of football. And guys are winning MVPs who watched him growing up and said, I want to look like that guy. Uh, I just don't think players are watching Julian Edelman and thinking that. And to be fair, um, even though technically I don't know if you identify him as a slot receiver, Steve Smith still did it better. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. A way better case. He he's not eligible. He'll be eligible for the first time next year. But like, like he he's probably gonna have to wait a little bit. And his numbers are insane. <laughs> he had some playoff success as well, not to Edelman's level. But it's just like, I think it's even less about how you value playoff success and more like, you you're just looking past everything else. You're looking at one aspect of his career. The numbers aren't there. The talent wasn't there. Uh, he was talented, but he's like, there are players that there, I would say every season he was in the NFL, there was probably at minimum 10 guys that you could have replaced him with. And the Patriots still would have had the same success. Uh, and that number is probably on the low side. And to also be fair, I mean, Edelman was on a dynasty team. This was a team that was constantly in the playoffs. So, yes, he's going to see more opportunities than half of these guys that we've already mentioned. So, that 
to me, is kind of a moot point also because, let's be real here, even with guys like Torrey Holt, he didn't see the playoffs that often. He didn't go to the Super Bowl that often. So, you know, it's not like... It's not like the same thing with Edelman. Edelman was there constantly, and while he wasn't there as long as, say, someone like Tom Brady was, he was still part of a dynasty. So this is such a really weird debate, in my opinion. It infuriates me. It gets me so mad. And, like, smart people are are talking about this. Like, I saw uh, NFL – I believe he works for NFL Network, NFL.com, Adam Rank – said, yeah, you put Edelman in the Hall of Fame. And then he said, if you're looking for three Hall of Fame receivers, use his comps. Uh, he said Lynn Swan, which is why I pulled his numbers. He said Fred Bolitnikoff. And he said Michael Irvin. And so I put them side by side. Uh, here's Michael Irvin's career. Three-time Super Bowl champion. Five-time Pro Bowler. One-time first-team All-Pro. Two-time second-team All-Pro. Led the league in receiving yards in 91. Made the All-Decade team in the 90s. Career had 750 receptions for 11,904 11, yards and 65 touchdowns. Here's Edelman's. Three-time pro, Super Bowl. No Pro Bowls. We know that. Three-time Super Bowl champion. Super Bowl MVP. 620 receptions for 6,822 yards and 36 touchdowns. Uh, wasn't playing alongside the all-time leading rusher either. So, like, what what are we doing? How do you, like, say with a straight face, yeah, he's got a similar case to Michael Irvin? There's there's absolutely no way. Now, I will agree that Michael Irvin, um, the way people talk about how Irvin was one of the best receivers to ever play the game, that might be an overstatement. But to sit here and say that he, that Edelman was just as good as Michael Irvin, no. I'm sorry. You really need to brush up on your history a little bit because Irvin, I mean, I think Irvin is a damn good wide receiver. And, you know, while Edelman's talented for sure and he had a decent career. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He doesn't match up to Irvin, not not even in the slightest bit. It, the the numbers just they're not close. Like I don't know how why he pulled he only pulled out of the reps because I guess Irvin is a guy whose career got elevated because he was on really good teams and had a lot of playoff success. But they played for the same amount of time basically, um, and 
like Irvin has like double the receiving yards in an era where they didn't throw the ball as much. And like I mentioned, he played with fucking Emmett Smith. Like uh, Edelman, they were they were going. That running back room was a revolving door. Like Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I just, oh man. Well, like in draft season, in classic fashion, we talked for 30 minutes about a player who never played for the Rams. <laughs> Pretty much. I had to get it out, man. I I just I can't believe this is a thing. Yeah, I'm sure that was uh, that was eating at you since the moment you found out. I I've I've gone back and forth on this with Patriots fans for so long. Like ever since the topic came up after the I think it was the Super Bowl against us. Probably. I mean, he did have a pretty good game against us, so I can imagine. <sighs> Anyways. Uh, let's look at what the NFC West has done this offseason. Where would you like to start? Well, let's go alphabetical order. Why not? Go with Arizona. All right. Uh, who has the hardest article to read that I pulled? <laughs> Arizona this offseason. Here are some guys they brought in. Big one was J.J. Watt, two-year, $28 million deal. Uh, also brought in A.J. Green, which I think is could be a really good transaction. We'll see what he's got left in the tank. They brought in Matt Prater as their kicker. Uh, they brought in veteran guard Brian Winters. They brought in uh, Super Bowl MVP or Super Bowl hero. I don't remember if it's the MVP. Malcolm Butler, cornerback. Maybe, maybe we'll be talking about his Super Bowl fame case in a couple oh, years because he played for the Patriots. Uh, they also brought in veteran safety Sean Williams. Brought in Colt McCoy to back up Kyler Murray. They re-signed um, a bunch of players and guys that left of noto- notoriety. Patrick Peterson was a big one. Signed a one-year, $10 million contract with the Vikings. Uh, linebacker Hassan Reddick went to the Panthers. He was the lineman. Angelo Blackson went to the Bears. Kenyon Drake went to the Raiders on a two-year, $14 million deal with $11 million guarantees, which is just, just fucking unbelievable. What a, what a signing so by the Raiders. Stupid. What is so stupid. Not, like, I would rather have Kenyon Drake than James Conner, but actually today the Cardinals signed – James Conner for like a million dollars. I I actually would rather have James Conner over Kenyon Drake. I don't uh, know. I don't. I, know I'm I'm not a fan of either one to be honest with you, but like Drake. Oh man, I I and at oh man, and then the what the Raiders signed him for was just beyond st- stupid. I mean. Uh, and it's not like this. he's going to be the starter or anything. He's essentially going to be playing behind Josh Jacobs. So, <laughs> keep going, Raiders. You're just going to really, really make a interesting 2021 season. He he got paid $1.5 million less uh, over two years than Melvin Gordon signed with Denver last offseason. Melvin Gordon... Um, like, when he signed that contract, people kind of criticized it because it was an overpay for a running back who wasn't an elite talent. Much better than Kenyon Drake. So much better. Oh, yeah. Not even a question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, enough enough, uh, 
<laughs> attacking the Raiders here, even yeah. though it's easy. Tell me what you think about the Cardinals offseason. And I guess, like, last player, no, no, uh, not super important, but Dan Arnold, who I'm pretty sure scored a big touchdown against us last year, also went to Carolina on a two-year, $6 million deal. Carolina actually had a interesting offseason. Yeah. Um, but uh, focusing on the Arizona Cardinals here, in terms of who they brought in, I, I'm a big fan of a lot of these guys, you know. Uh, J.J. Watt, I mean, hey, I, he, his name kind of speaks for himself. If he can stay healthy, that's kind of one of the things that the Arizona Cardinals really, really needed was someone to be uh, opposite of Chandler Jones. So, you know, having Watt opposite him, that's that's dangerous. Oh, uh, so, and, and Johnny, I left this out too. Uh, they traded for Rodney Hudson from the Raiders. I was I was going to address that as well. Yeah, yeah my bad. That's it's like their second biggest acquisition. Yeah. So so JJ Watt, um, like I said, that's he's gonna he's gonna be uh, someone that's gonna really be someone you gotta block for, and uh, obviously, that's not exactly something you want to see Matthew Stafford have to contend with. So. That's a, that's a big signing. Um, the under-the-radar addition would have to be Rodney Hudson, in my opinion, because, you know, center position in, in general is not as appreciated as it should be. And Rodney Hudson is is a awesome center. Don't know why the Raiders let him go, but I don't know why the Raiders do a lot of things. So, <laughs> um you know, to improve your offensive line at all and make making things a lot easier for guys like Kyler Murray, that's that's the name of the game right there. Um, I'm not that ex- impressed with Butler, to be honest. I, I mean, he he's the guy that really hasn't lived up to his uh, Super Bowl status. Um, I, I guess he, he's a body that can potentially replace Patrick Peterson, but obviously even... In his regressive state, I still would take Patrick Peterson. Um, and then, yeah, uh, the rest of these guys are, I mean, James Conner, I'm not all that impressed with. I, you know, I, I do think he is somewhat of an upgrade over Kenyon Drake, but it, even if he isn't, like, it's not, it's not a significant signing here, like, I don't think that they really significantly upgraded the running back position, but yeah, there there's a couple of guys here that that can make uh, the Cardinals an even better team, and that's <laughs> that's impressive considering that this is a team that was was pushing the entire NFC West. So this this is going to be a very scary division, and I have no doubts in my mind that. This is a division that can easily have three teams in the playoffs. And that says a lot. It really does. I mean, and, four teams pushed for the playoffs last year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, the 49ers didn't have the season that they were expecting. But a lot of that came with injuries. And we'll, we'll talk about them a little bit later. But uh, the Arizona Cardinals... With all these moves, they're they're gonna they're gonna be one to watch out for, and I know you're kind of itching to talk about AJ Green, so uh, I have my thoughts on it. I think he has potential, um, but the problem is he's just 
he's kind of up there in age and basically added uh, another aging veteran. So I don't know if he's going to be the compliment that the Cardinals hope he'll be just because DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, he's the best. He, he can be one of the best receivers, if not the best receiver in the league. Um, it would have been better if they brought in some fresher blood in there. But, hey, if A.G. Green, if nothing else, is a big target, so. Yeah, I, I, I think it was an interesting signing. Uh, it was a one-year deal, so, I mean, he was an elite player before he had that injury. And last year, uh, he had his moments, but uh, clearly, like, he missed a step. At the same time, after Joe Burrow went down, didn't really have any great <laughs> not even great, any players that really belonged in the NFL throwing him the ball. He was catching passes from Brandon Allen, a guy we know. Uh, he, and he was competing for targets with a lot of good players. Uh, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins are good young up-and-comers. Those are the guys they were going to focus their offense on uh, for a team that wasn't good. So I, I'm interested to see how it plays out. Mate, like, I Will Fuller signed a one-year deal for not that much more money. That's probably – I would have rather had him. But I think it's an interesting move to bring A.J. Green uh, to a receiver room with – who I think is the best receiver in football and DeAndre Hopkins and a lot of other good players or decent players, Christian Kirk, decent player, a couple other guys in there. Uh, But with, uh, with Connor, I, I think with him, I think they like Chase Edmonds. They like him more than Kenyon Drake for sure. And I think that they'll consider drafting a running back, but I think you bring in Connor, uh, a, it was, he's basically free. Um, And B it's, you know, you have some flexibility if, the draft doesn't fall the way you want it to. I would imagine they wouldn't look to, for a running back until the second round if the guys they like aren't there. You got Connor. He might he might have a, have some spark left. Uh, there might be something there. But if not, you, you roll with Edmonds, who you like. Maybe you don't want to play him as much as you would if you don't draft a running back high. But uh, you, you don't mind him. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they're a better team. I think that, you know, they'll go as far as Kyler Murray can take him at the end of the day. He, he's gotten a lot better. He still has room for improvement. Uh, but when you have him, a budding young quarterback, if you can continue to grow and you have DeAndre Hopkins in there and now you bring in J.J. White, you have a decent defense. Uh, there's a lot of players in the building that are, that are talented and on the younger side. I'm curious to what they see. Yeah, they'll be in the mix for a playoff spot. I think uh, they're the least likely team in the division to win the division. But I, they'll, I think they'll compete with the wild card and if everything goes well they could win the division i think anyone could win this division uh even though i think they're the least likely let's let's go so we're going alphabetically sa before sc let's talk about the 49ers so here are the players they signed our boy samson ebukam uh on a two-year 12 million dollar deal which what the fuck uh nathan jerry from the eagles on a cheap deal zach kerr defensive lineman from the panthers on a cheap deal uh, center Alex Mack, a guy we talked about from Atlanta as a potential Austin Blythe replacement if he left. Ended up signing with uh, San Fran, three years, $14 million. Uh, they signed Mohamed Sanu, wide receiver, uh, last play for the Lions. Uh, signed Nate Sudfeld. Uh, they signed Tavon Wilson. Uh, they brought back a lot of players, most notably Trent Williams uh, on a fucking gigantic contract. Uh they also paid a fullback five years, $27 million in 2021. Uh, so that was a thing that happened. <laughs> um, they lost lost Solomon Thomas, lost uh, defensive end Kerry Hyder. They lost Tevin Coleman running back. They lost Kendrick Bourne, wide receiver, uh, who I think is a little underrated. 
Uh, they lost C.J. Beathard, but um, again, he's a backup. They have Jimmy Garoppolo, and they traded up, so they're probably going to roll into camp with two quarterbacks, uh, Garoppolo and his soon-to-be replacement. And they have there's a lot of guys that haven't signed with teams yet from San Francisco, most notably Richard Sherman and, uh, to a lesser extent, Ezekiel Ansah. Did I miss anybody? Uh, no, I don't believe so. I, I think you pretty much hit on, on pretty much most of the guys there. Um, but yeah, the, the key guys being available would, would be, uh, Sherman and Anza. I'm real curious who Sherman ends up with it. It would, it's going to be interesting because, you know, this, this is a big signing for any team, you know, even as old as he is, he's still very much dangerous cornerback. So we got five mil. Will he take five mil? Come to LA. I highly doubt he takes five million. I love I, it. But hey, maybe. Uh, I mean, he said that he really liked the uh, the Stafford signing or the Stafford trade. So maybe he wants to play on a Super Bowl caliber team. Just saying. You know, raise our hands a little bit. <laughs> I'm sure he does. I don't know if it's going to be here. We'll see though. No, not with the cap space we have. But uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I think of all the NFC West teams, I would say the San Francisco 49ers had probably the least exciting offseason. They, I mean, they basically, as Steve said, uh, kept players that, um, that they had. I mean, but the guys they signed aren't really all that impressive. Yeah, and have... least, least exciting free agency, like, uh... They arguably had, well, besides us, they arguably had the most exciting offseason with that trade-up. Yeah, I mean, to their credit, they are getting that trade-up. So, it uh, depends on how much you really value a, a rookie quarterback. Um, truthfully, I don't know if I'm all that excited about anyone that isn't Justin Fields or or Trevor Lawrence. That's just me. Uh, everyone else, fields. I'm just kind of, huh? They might get fields if the Jets they, they, go That's possible. That is possible. They could um, not get fields, uh, or they could get fields, rather. So um, I I doubt it, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm a huge fan of Justin Fields. I, I think that this guy is going to he's gonna be something in the NFL. I just, uh, if he ends up on, on the 49ers, uh, that could be a problem for a while, I will say. That being said, um, as far as the, the guys that they did bring back, you know, Trent Williams was a big one. It was a massive deal, but considering how hard it is to find a left tackle in the league, I don't blame him. I don't blame him one bit. Uh, <laughs> use check. I, I like the guy a lot. I don't know if I would have paid him that much, but that's just me. Uh, Alex Mack. Hey, you know, you want a you want a really good quality center even though he's kind of older. Uh, he, he's definitely a nice rental player for sure. Um everyone else I just think is just meh. Um Ibukam, like I said, that's our boy, but uh oh jeez, I can't imagine paying this guy 2 years for 12 million dollars. <laughs> Uh, I mean, they, if the 49ers really liked him that much, I guess. Um, 
maybe they wanted some intel from Ibukam. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, for them, I feel like it's less about who they signed and more about who they're getting back uh, because they had so many players injured last year. I mean, most notably Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Bosa, uh, George Kittle, Raheem Mostert, D. Ford. Like, uh, this so Richard Sherman was out for a while. He's not back. But, like, you're getting Garoppolo back, who, I mean, no matter what, is an upgrade from who was playing last year. Uh, we'll see who, and he's going to have a tight leash. He's going to be motivated. I mean, if there was ever a year for Jimmy Garoppolo to bring it, it's this year. And, I mean, we'll see what he's got. Uh, Debo was out for a while, too, Debo Samuel. But, like, it's him, it's Bosa, it's D Ford. I mean, those are huge plays. It's Kittle. Uh, you just miss a huge, huge parts of your team. Uh, and this is a team that the year before went to a Super Bowl. Uh, I would say that we are the favorite in the division. I'd still say they're second. Uh, you know, you, we could talk all the shit we want about Jimmy Garoppolo, but they made the Super Bowl with him at one point. He was good enough. Uh, I don't think the roster is that good as it was that year, especially without Sherman. But um, they, they're good. Like, they're clearly good when they get all these players back. And if they could keep the team healthy, uh, they're going to be in the mix. Seattle. Uh, here are their signings. Gerald Everett. <laughs> our our man, Gerald Everett. Cornerback, uh, Akella Witherspoon. Defensive tackle, Al Woods. Defensive end, Kerry Hyder. And uh, right guard, Gabe Jackson. Also traded from the Raiders, who traded their entire uh, <laughs> offensive line. They, they re-signed Carlos Dunlop. And they re-signed Chris Carson, which was somewhat of a surprise among other players. They extended Tyler Lockett. They lost Shaquille Griffin, cornerback. They lost wide receiver David Moore, who is, you know, not a huge name, but played a lot for them. Uh, they lost Jacob Hollister. They lost Philip Dorsett. They lost Carlos Hyde. Uh, they lost Quentin Dunbar. Lost Jaron Reed. Guys that are still outstanding, linebacker KJ Wright is the big one. Has not signed yet. We got $5 million, KJ. Come to the Rams. Uh, and Mike Ayupati and Greg Olson retired. Uh, so, I mean, I do not think they're going to be better than next year, like at all, <laughs> or better than last year. I mean, like I, but they're still the Seahawks, man. Pete Carroll's still there. Russell Wilson's still there. As long as those guys are still there, I mean, really, as long as Russell Wilson's still there, they're in the mix for the division. Like, there's no, you, you can't say anything else while Russell Wilson is still throwing passes for this team because he's that good. Uh, yeah, he's inconsistent. He, he, last year he was frustrating as ever, but uh, that guy wins games, and this team is going to continue to win games. I Will they win a Super Bowl this year? I really doubt it, but they will rack up enough wins to be in the playoffs, I or at least close to the playoffs, depending on the success of other teams in the division other teams in the conference. Yeah, I, I, I think that the Seahawks are still a, a, a pretty damn good team. Um, I, but I think, to be honest, the one of the best additions, in my opinion, um, of, of the offseason of any of the NFC West teams was the addition of Gabe Jackson. I think that flew under the radar. And I, I really feel like people don't realize how good Gabe Jackson is. Uh, which is why it baffled me that the Raiders were so willing to give him away. And from what I under 
from what I recall, I don't remember exactly what the trade was, but I know that the Raiders didn't exactly get much for him. So, <laughs> I'm not really sure what they were thinking there. Uh, and, and you know what? That's that's one of the biggest criticisms that that uh, the Seahawks in general have had is not having, you know, a bona fide offensive line to support, you know, Russell Wilson. And, you know, I, I think this is kind of the step in the right direction for them because, you know, one of the biggest problems with Russell Wilson is he always feels like he has to run for his life. And most of the time he does, especially when he's playing against the Rams. You know, he's constantly being attacked by Aaron Donald and most recently uh, <laughs> Leonard Floyd. So, you know, uh, any way you can help, you know, Russell Wilson, I think that's the way to do it. I think the Gerald Everett signing was decent as well. I think this is a good opportunity for both the Seahawks and him, though I don't know if Everett will ever be that starting capable tight end uh, there because, quite frankly, I feel like Disley is, is a is a vastly underrated tight end. So, the whole, like, his biggest knock is he can't stay healthy. So, you know, there may be times where Everett will become the starter because of that reason. Um and I have to say, I was really surprised that Carson stood in Seattle. So yeah, they still they still have the pieces there, and in in all essence, they didn't really lose that much either. You know, um, I I think the biggest loss there would be uh, maybe Shaq Griffin, who you know he was he was good, he was decent, uh, but like they really didn't lose anyone. You know, uh, Carlos Hyde. Yeah, I think his best days are gone. Uh, David Moore was someone that could fly under the radar for sure. Um, Philip Dorsett never really lived up to expectations, so... Yeah, K.J. Wright, if he doesn't come back, is uh, a decent size loss, too. That's true. So, K.J. Wright hasn't actually signed with anyone just yet. Uh, I would love nothing more than the Rams to sign him. I don't know if $5 million is enough, but... I would definitely offer it to him in a heartbeat if he said, I would love to play for the Rams. So More possible than Sherman, I think. Not yes. sure if it's likely, but it's not, like, I don't know. I, he isn't signed yet, so the market can't be that crazy for him. And, I mean, I think there's less of a market for him than there is for Sherman. So, yeah, I think $5 million might not be enough, but, hey, maybe... Maybe he'll be willing to take a pay cut a bit. I don't know. Uh, but I know that the Rams could surely use an inside linebacker. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely could. Uh, I mean, like, that division's so good. And I don't know if there's another division in football where you could look at every team in the division and uh, and say, honestly, if everything goes right for this team, they can play in the Super Bowl. Like, I, I don't know if there's another team where, like, like because if it, I mean, I don't think the Cardinals are going to be in the Super Bowl this year, but there's a world where Kyler Murray takes the leap and they're in contention because uh, they have the they have enough really good players to do it. Uh, like, you look at the NFC South, I don't think Carolina can do it. Uh, you look at the NFC East, 
I don't need to go any further. Like you look at the <laughs> you look at the NFC North, the the Lions. If everything goes right, they're not in the Super Bowl. Uh, even if Goff gets back to his peak form, there's just not enough other talent there. Uh, like the AFC South, like Trevor Lawrence would have to step in and literally be God from day one. Uh, the AFC East, the, the Jets play in the division. Uh, the AFC, the AFC North, the the Bengals. I mean, if everything goes right, they could have some success, but they could be a playoff team. Don't really think anyone envisions them in the Super Bowl. And the AFC West, uh, with like I don't know, like Denver can't do it. The Raiders really doubtful. Um, like every team in this division, man, is probably going to be competing for the playoffs, like they were last year. And if the Cardinals were able to beat John Wolford in Week 17. Every team in the division would have been in the playoffs uh, because I I think uh, the Bears lost in Week 17, right? Yes, I believe so. So, yeah, we would have made it anyways. And it would have been four. Oh, wait, never mind. I take back no, everything. It, I just it, was, it was three. Yeah, I, I just like <laughs> it was so recent that the 49ers were good. I just forgot they stunk it up last year. Oh, uh, yeah. My for brain real. is fried. I talked for an hour and half of it was about Julian Edelman. I broke my brain today. I mean that that would break my brain too if I had to research about him. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, we got some fun draft con- content coming next week. Johnny, you got anything else before we wrap up? Uh, go Dodgers. Sure. Sure. <laughs> okay. Fine. Go Lakers. No. Oh, yeah. Go Dodgers. I'd rather have that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but don't forget follow us on Twitter at Superbarrow at Johnny596 at TalkRams uh, give us a 5 star rating on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already and get ready to talk draft with us next week we're going to get some good stuff in the pipeline so we'll talk to you guys then tell Sean Payton keep talking that we're going to see him soon you feel me Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.